You're tuned into the October Recovery Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm not an addiction counselor, specialist, or professional. On this podcast, you'll hear discussion regarding 12-step recovery programs and how they have impacted our lives. However, the podcast is not a promotion or an endorsement of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. The opinions shared on this show are those of the individual speaker. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction and needs help, call Recovery Centers of America, 1-855-487-9626. The email is recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services in Danvers, Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Another recovery option is Banyan Treatment Center, started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Locations are Pennsylvania, Chicago, four locations in Florida, and one in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Also, help with addiction can be found at Foundations Recovery Network at 1-877-714-1318. October Recovery Podcast, Episode 15. We are here with Janine. Janine's in the house. So, I met Janine in 2012, my second meeting. We were just talking, maybe my first, but I don't remember. But what I do remember is after that meeting, you won the big book and you, um, quotation fingers, won the big book. I did. And you came up and you gave it to me. And that was the connection. That was our start of a, a long friendship, seven years, and we see each other weekly, generally. Sometimes we go through a lengths of times, but it's all good. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome my good friend Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, AJ. <laughs> thanks for having me. Ah, uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks for coming. You remember, we, we were just talking about that when we met. And, and it's funny, we were just talking to my wife and my son about that day. And you were saying how generally you don't go over to the newcomer. And that's not your thing. And I love that. Like Jan was saying that too. And it strikes me that you guys know your spot in recovery. And you know your spot where you can be useful. I I like that. I like that. You know? And you're being useful today. Come in to help me out. So So what's going on with you? What's what's Well, just like in your prayer is, you know, you just you have to let the higher power guide you Mm. to what's right. Mm Mm-hmm. What I remember is do you remember what I said to you? When I, 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 for some reason, I don't know if I handed you the book or said go pick one out. You handed it to me. Okay. Yeah, I did not. And go pick so, it out. do you remember what I said to you? Read it 
It's like you there's have only to. one stipulation is, and you're like, what? <laughs> you have to read it. That's so funny. Yeah. This we did not just talk about. Yeah. But I do remember that. Yeah. I got the goosebumps. Yeah. So, because that's the most important part is, um, and and I did take the liberty to read inside that front cover where it said the, your willingness kept you going for the first five months and that is what it takes is what are you willing to do so what i'm about to say is my own opinions of recovery absolutely and and what has worked for me and what maybe hasn't worked for me yes so we say i say don't lose that train of thought i'm sorry but i say at the beginning of this we are no way in any shape or form, a spokesperson for the fellowship of AA as a whole. That's not what's going on in here. However, a lot of us who come in here use Alcoholics Anonymous as a very, very valuable tool. Yeah. Foundation. Yes. You have to lay the foundation. Do you remember what you were going to say when I interrupted you? Nope. Shit. How about this? I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict and my name is Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi. I'm sober today through the grace of God and the steps and fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And for that, I am truly grateful. Mm-hmm. And I have heard some of your podcasts that the introduction states those because we're not violating traditions, which is very important. Yeah, we're here to, we're to, we're here to help. I mean, it's yeah. our opinions. Oh, that was okay. And so, so early, early in recovery, back when there were tape cassette tapes um so i had a few years in texas where i ran into a gentleman who used to go to the convention was my first convention 1990 world convention in seattle washington okay outstanding time Mm. anyone that could ever get a chance to go to a world convention fine do it um that aa is my foundation although marijuana was my drug of choice um, so, so first and foremost, I am an alcoholic and a drug addict because it doesn't matter what I use, when, with who, what time, what day, it mattered what happened to me when I did it. And so once I was able to absorb that, so I've been to many fellowships and I needed a foundation. I needed something strong to hold me up because I was a very broken person. So that's what I have to say about that. Whoever is listening, as I did to these cassette tapes, yeah. I listened. Yeah. You know, and I did what I had to do for myself. Mm. So whatever is guiding you, build a foundation, whatever that is. Yeah. Did you... Um was this like early on when you started dabbling in in recovery that you found the cassette tape? So how how did that happen? Or yeah. did you find those through the through the convention? Well, through meetings. No, I ran into a gentleman who was he was it was his own calling because it yeah. wasn't a business. It was his what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um he did sell them. Because he had to cover the cost. Of, but this is a man who had thousands of cassettes, thousands of recordings, thousands of people speaking. And um, 
I just remember that there were a couple like and at times and I would ask him about it and I would we became friendly and he handed me a couple of tapes. He wasn't all about give me three bucks because yeah. we know we don't have any money. We're not capable of having responsibility to have that, especially early on. Yeah. You know, we have to earn those things, those luxuries. And um, so he handed me a few tapes. He said, why don't you listen to these? And if you like them, bring them back. I'll give you two more. But And then you'd go to bring them back and he'd be like, here, just take. So he really wasn't in a fashion of a business. He was into recovery and, and sharing the message. And I remember one tape that I listened to this woman. I listened to it so much I broke it. What? And I, I had it probably up until July, so it's almost a year ago when I had to do a vast purge. I still had that tape and I swore I was going to splice it, get it on a podcast, get it on it, because get it on something, because this woman made a remarkable effect on my sobriety and what and my foundation. Wow. Yeah. What was her name? I don't know. Yeah. But I don't what, know. That's cool. What what um that's wild. You played she, it until Yeah, it broke. I don't know her name because I never met her. She yeah. was just a cassette tape. Right, but she didn't say like I'm Susan W whatever. She did. Oh but you don't it doesn't no, matter. No, I don't remember. I, you so have to great. remember I'm way old now. She told your story to you type thing? She told me not really. And that is traditional, what you're saying. No, she told me about things like we, um, she would quote from the book. And we seem to suffer from a, a seemingly hopeless state of mind. We, you know, and, and there was this big thing about we, you know, being the first words. And you liked in every that. Step. I did. Yeah. I did because then I wasn't alone. Then I didn't feel isolated that, you know, I always was trying to find, I'm defective, I'm retarded, I'm mental, I'm this, I'm that. And I was anything but normal. I was anything but Janine. Mm. Yeah. So today, I love it. I'm an alcoholic and an addict first, and then I'm Janine. Some people don't agree with that. I'm sorry. That's don't be sorry. I put, no. I'm saying to the listener. Ah, <laughs> so it's good because somebody out there might be like, "Holy crap, Janine! I was thinking that same yeah. thing." Yes, I'm so glad you said it. Right. That's why we're here. And that's exactly what I got out of that cassette, and probably a million others that I had. And I love what you're talking about. It's like, who am I? Like I'm, t- and that's where, you know, we talk about this book and 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 the recovery program. That's where it takes us. It peels away all the stuff that we built up that we thought we had to be, that we were afraid of, that we thought we needed as a shield. All that junk we can peel away, and we can get yeah. to Janine. Yeah, and we can get to AJ. And when we get yeah. there, we can be that person on that tape who speaks the truth and helps somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. still, and it's a life process. So of course. It's not, yeah. you know. Well, you're not going to be gonna... the same Janine tomorrow that you are today. Very good. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> Look at me learning from you. 
This is why we're together. Well, it's like they say. <laughs> Thank you know, God, I'm not. They say like a like a like a plant. You know, a plant grows daily. If a plant didn't grow, it's just going to be a piece of greenery. Yeah. In April. And then come yeah. July, it's not a beautiful daisy. Yeah. You know, so we're growing. We're on this earth. We're we're growing. I mean, we're connected to the ground. Yeah. I yeah. do want to say. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, I love that. That's why I kept coming back. Because I kept having differences and in, in, in things that were good. I mean, it wasn't always a bed of roses. My recovery <laughs> was very hard. Um the the thing was what could i do different today that would help me understand how not to go back to that life and open mindedness is glaring right there <laughs> so you're talking about being open minded because you said what can i do differently yeah In the old days Jeanine would have said fuck that i'm doing it again and the result's going to be different <laughs> i'm doing and, the same thing and how does he know that because we all know, because we've all been there, you know, that, yeah, that's what I remember about early recovery was cheapest. I, I always heard them saying that, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, yeah, yeah. expecting different results. Well, I didn't get that till like five years later. Right. I mean, it took a long time to clear that my brain, well, burr. You said you got that from early recovery. So let's go back. Let's let's hear about. Um, so you grew up around here in town. Where were you? Were you moving around? I grew up in Revere. Okay, that was my majority of my school. Oh. you know, graduated Revere High, uh, Massachusetts. In case you're not USA. In case you in case you're um, listening from outside the universe, that might be. And I so. Hope there is. Um, yeah. So if you didn't know by the accent, it's Revere, Massachusetts. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there was a lot of stigmas and a lot of personality clashes there. Um, I I left. Did you have siblings? Yes, I have had three. Okay, well, one, one of four. One of four. I'm the baby. Me too. Nice. Ah. Yep. And when I first met you, and I'm like, does AJ stand for Arthur John? You, it was unbelievable. And I w actually, I think I waited like two or three times later because I didn't want to freak you out. <laughs> yeah. So, because that was my father's name. I couldn't believe it. Arthur John. It was a yeah, connection. So, like, oh, that yeah. was, and that to me, that's why, because I don't approach people as a rule unless I feel like. I don't know. Don't a spiritual connection. And don't ask me what that was because I didn't know your name, whatever. Don't yeah, you think, so. can you look back? I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. What you just said, when you look back at that, would you identify that as a spiritual connection? Yes. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean. Yeah. I love it. And you know what? So on a spiritual plane, yes. What? What that's what's keeping me going all these days and years and it's, what, to me it's the only way spirituality yeah without that you're dead right yeah me too yeah I don't want to scare anybody no but I'm um, just saying that you can get that you have it you're born with it I think we're born with it and then everything all the shit fucking comes and covers and it. smothers it and you I agree with you so that's my so then you got to peel it away. 
and it's 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 a talk about courage it it takes a lot of courage to do that and you need a good teacher and where i find a good teacher is that that blue blue book that we're talking about yeah. it's a wonderful foundation it is because if i wrote a book on how to live a life it's not going to be pretty <laughs> there's going to be a lot of 12 packs a lot of nips a lot oh. of um uh, substances that yes. alter my the way I think and I feel. Yeah. If I'm going to write that. Right. And then right. I'm going to be dead, I'm going to be in jail, or I'm going to be locked up somewhere because I'm going cuckoo. So one time, um, so I tried a few different fellowships here and there and here and there. What were they? And they well, N.A. Okay. A.A. Yep. Um, I, I, I am an advocate of Al-Anon. No doubt. Alateen. Um, so I stuck with AA as a foundation, um, in my opinion, was very serious and very strict. Um, NA was kind of lax and kind of plotty dotty, hotty toddy. And so I just, I just didn't get the same that I got out of AA. Yeah, so that is, different. um, and I remember being at a meeting I'm pretty sure it was AA, but it doesn't matter. And right. I just wanted to say about the book that the guy said, you know, I came with like every color marker and every pen and I had everything going, you know, because there's a big book study, there's step study, there's this. And he said, you know, if you keep writing in that book and you keep highlighting and marking it with a pen, you're going to you're going to miss the point of what you're reading. And he might not have said it exactly that way because I'm still a little nervous talking into this big microphone here. Uh, anyway, uh, but that was the point that he was making was, you know, don't miss the message because I was so busy trying to make sure I highlight, oh, writing in the margins and everything. And it worked for me for a very long time. And then he said that. And then I found myself, you know, I have to really venture on my own my own opinion of what is going to work for me. What am I hearing? What am I reading? And, um, and I just, so I just wanted to kind of bring that out there that, you know, these, I built a foundation and, and I still believe that yet I have to feed that for what works for me. No doubt. We're going to talk more about that. So we were saying we got there because we talked about we were one of four. We had a connection spiritually. We had the Oh, jump. yeah. One of four. Yeah. Revere, we were yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Let's so, let's, yeah. Let's I mean, I was very active as a young adult person. Yeah. Um, I had. What was the young kid? What was your What was your household like? Were your parents divorced? Were they together? What were oh, they doing? Oh, no. They were truly in love. Uh, Do you want me to tell a funny story? Yeah. You might not like it. Let's hear it. Rosemarie Saboni Fortini Tatarini, my mother. Mm. God rest her soul. I love her. She had this thing for bags. That's a perfectly good bag. Are you going to throw that bag away? Save that bag. My father, Arthur John Fortini, he loved my mother. God rest his soul. So now they're together. He had a thing for boxes. That is a perfectly good box. You better save that box. You could put your mother's bags in it. <laughs> anyway, he was the comedian. I feel like I take after him a oh, lot. Oh, that's great. Uh, although I do have a lot of my mother's traits. So they were truly in love. They, you know, he died young. He died at 48. And that's I was. That's how old I am today. God bless you. Is today your birthday? 
Happy birthday. <laughs> so he, I was uh, 11th grade. So. Oh, Janine. Yeah, I turned 16. My daughter's a junior. So, yeah. So, yep, God decides. So he had an aneurysm is what happened uh, to him, just so whatever. Quick. And so, quick, yeah. Like a quick thing? Well, he was in Mass General for a couple of weeks. So every time I go there, it's like, um. So bad memory, yeah, bad memories. So he went in a coma on January second. My birthday's January third, and then he died on January fourth. So now I'm carry this all through my whole life. But when he passed away, it was party time. Woohoo! Let's go, baby. Because he was very strict. He was very strict, and he oh. always said to me, "You're not going to end up like them. You're not." Who's them? Like siblings. Okay, what were they like? Woohoo! Well, that's where I learned all my tricks of the trade. You know, that's where all the drugs and the alcohol and, you know, he he would has said, if you're going to drink, drink in your own home, you know, because this Italian family, full-blooded Italian here, full-blooded parent Italians, um, that was, I, I don't really know if that's what he was taught. I just know that's what he taught us. Well, it's a cultural thing for and, sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I, yeah, right. With the wine, wine. on the table yeah. and yeah. all that. I mean, it wasn't like we were doing it out of the womb. But when we came to where I just remember it was a time that I was really building a relation with him. And I started, um, learn, you know, the permit driving. And so I was, yeah, it was kind of a weird thing that I was like, wow, he's like a real person. He's like not my dad. He's like a guy. And, uh, yeah, so, and then he was gone. Okay. And so, so I was off and running. Because wow. now there's no more, you know, don't think you're going to give me a curfew anymore. Don't think you're going to, you know, I am not abiding by any rules. I am off. Wow. So, and at the time, the drinking age was lowered to 18. And um, it was easier to get drugs than it was to get alcohol. And so... I mean, we'd still got alcohol. I don't know. It was kind of a weird time that we could still drink and drive and stuff and yikes. And what happened was I didn't know I was grieving and I skipped school for a very long time and then I got caught. And so I had to go to summer school. Um, so the good news was I was able to graduate with my class, 1976. <gasps> Okay, so let's not do numbers. So, so I, you know, what else I want to say too is that, um, you know, all my dates and all my time frames and everything is yeah. all, it's just pertinent to me. Well, a lot of people get caught up in like, oh, well, well, who cares how old and who cares this and that and this and that. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. What other people think. Well, this is your story. Anyway. Right. And I just, you know, I know I can hear in the meetings when people are saying, well, you know, it was five years later and it was 11 o'clock at night and it was Tuesday blah, blah, and people going. <sighs> and so but that's it's pertinent to that person that's like, saying. It. Yeah. So anyway, uh, drugs and the alcohol. Easy yeah. To get. The bicentennial year. Oh, I grew So I was going to a work study program so I could go to school in the morning and some of the kids went to work in the afternoon. I went to hairdressing school. Okay. So I graduated 
got my diploma. I have a picture of myself looking down to make sure that diploma was inside the thing. Laugh. I look at that. I laugh every day. Every time I see it. And uh, the diploma was in there. You were like, I'm not leaving. I am not going to another summer school. No. And I actually got a hairdressing license. So I was like double bonus. Although what I didn't know was still grieving my dad. Um, So I did all that. I worked. I did. So I ended up with a job with the airline industry. Very fortunate to get in there. And I left. And I went to Florida, and it was age 30, and within two months of being in Florida, I was in a recovery program. Wow. And so today, I feel that if I were, I've said this before a few times in recovery, that if I had stayed, I'd probably be dead Hmm. at the rate I was going. Um, You know, I, I had my share I had a couple of falls, lots of lots of one-eyed driving stuff, brah. and um, so I feel like that moving. I'm not suggesting that anybody do this because they say no major changes in the first year, blah 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 blah. And uh, anyway, I had already moved. I was in recovery in Miami, Florida, the cocaine capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Go figure. Whatever. Yeah. And so, so that was the start of the journey. Uh, because of working for the airline, I ended up moving to Texas. And I had about three years in Texas where I really blossomed early recovery, spending a lot of time doing hotlines, doing, I mean, we're talking, you know, telephones corded to the wall. So you had to go to the facility to do hotlines. Now, today it's entirely, everything's different with technology. This is a long time ago. And so. Um, so, uh, I just remember that was a really big spiritual awakening part of my recovery. And I didn't know if it, I don't know what it had to do with. Um, I thought that I found a lot of God in Florida and I'm not really sure. I don't, when I first came into the pro, you know, when I was first introduced and, um, Anyway, so in Texas, those three years, it was it was grand. It was just, I just felt so close to God. And mm. not that I don't today. I just feel like there was some really big arms around me guiding me. Do you think part of that was because my brother lives in Texas and it's a big, um, <laughs> it's just a different culture. I mean, their their community is the church. Their fellowship is the church. Do you think part of that was part of it or was it just, I, another, you know what? Like, did I you go know. to, did you? Did you go to a church there? No. No. Yeah. Religion? No. Yeah. I did not. Mm -hmm. No, because that was part of my rebellion. So I was raised Catholic. um, And so there was some connotation in my upbringing where once you received confirmation, you didn't have to go to church anymore. Now, did we make those rules as kids? I think so. I'm not sure. Um, and don't forget, so confirmation is, what, 16, right? Confirmation? Yep. Uh, 15, 15 or 16, right? So I made my confirmation, stop going to church, my father dies, I'm off and running. So, you know, if, you, yeah. if, if, if I felt far from God, look who moved. Right. That's what I hear, right? And I had to keep looking at, you know, who moved because God, to me, my God, my higher power is everywhere. So 
where was I in that? Where did I fit in that? And so, and I do agree, it is a different culture. And it was, um, I think I, I was fixated on that I had to be looking for a man in my life. Oh. And so I kept trying to hook up with these cowboys because I wanted me a cowboy. And I never got one. I don't know. They, I think they were scared of the New England accent. I don't know what happened. They saw me coming. They liked them little southern southern draw, southern, what's it, the draw or the uh, drawl. twang? Draw or the drawl. Drawl or twang, there right? And they talk like that. And then they... The little blonde hair and whatever. It didn't work out. So I had these. You didn't fit in that pig. No. And um, so I think what happened there was it gave me a chance to stop and really reflect and work on myself. And uh, because I didn't have a distraction, there was nothing else. That's what I had to do. So, um, you know, I was insulted and I was hurt. Because I was like, what, you know, hey, that's not wrong with me. Because you couldn't get a guy? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was some big deal about that in my life. And, well, whatever. Anyway, I got over it quick. Yeah, so three years celibate. <gasps> in Texas. That was crazy, yeah. Hmm. So, um, whatever. I got over that and I said, and then I finally got with God and God let me know when the time is right, it'll be right. You're not ready. And I stopped questioning it, stopped bothering. And, and um, I ended up back in Florida. Um, my decision for that was because Florida had ocean and Texas didn't. It's true. I went to Galveston and saw muddy brown water and I was appalled. Yeah. So I left. <laughs> yeah. well, you were there for three Well, months. I had an opportunity with the airline, again, with the airline. What so. airline did you work for? Do you mind saying or you don't have to say? It was New York Air. Oh, I never even knew that. Oh, oh. that was the best. And then, what did you um, do for them? I started in reservations, taking the phone calls, yeah, working. At the counter in the airport? Um, no, the reservations was a separate office. Okay. Phones. At uh, Logan, though? It was at Logan. What a riot. That was back. I mean, this is, we're talking telephones plugged, wired. Late 80s? Early 90s? Uh, late 80s. My father worked for United in yeah. the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a who We used to be able to smoke at our cubicle. <laughs> what? I remember pulling my wire all the way to the window, smoking out the window. Jan was talking about she worked for a rental company at the airport. Yeah. And she'd have a bar set up on her de on her <laughs> kiosk. Oh. Well, yeah, we had. It's, there was yeah, we. I had a supervisor. We did. We we used to work the late shift. We had to stay until the last plane landed. And one night we were in the bathroom doing coke. Me and my supervisor. Yeah, She's like, "All right, let's see who can make the most reservations." <laughs> it was crazy, crazy shit. I took a reservation for Charles Laquadera. I did. Yeah, L A Q U A. One, uh, what was it? WBCN. Oh my word! Yes. Anyway, that. So, but that story. was a good so, job. Okay, so you were able to move back to Florida with that job. I was able to move back to Florida. Was your what um, was your recovery like at that point? I mean, your spiritual life seems like it was good. It was good, and I mean, these were days that I was single. I could go to a meeting. I could do anything I want. I went to a meeting every day. Yeah. Okay. Every day, every night, whatever. So uh, you you learned that in recover in in, in rehab. Something struck you about fellowship, 
going to meetings, learning about this program? Well, it's the it's the people in the meetings. So it wasn't rehab. No. So, yeah, no. I was an outpatient person. That's a rehab. Oh, yeah. We skipped that part, how I even got introduced. I want to hear that. So, yeah, you went to Miami. I went to Miami, and I had a boyfriend that I was breaking up with. <laughs> That came with me anyway. I'm not letting you drive down and move that far away by yourself. And you're working for the airlines. And I work for the airlines. And you know you're fucked like you're in trouble. No, I didn't know. I was a very functional. So you moved to Miami to party and hang out. I moved to Miami because I wanted to be at the beach. Okay. Really? Before Texas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And And within two months, this man... Uh, so he was coming back and forth, and so it, there was some innuendos where I was suspecting that he was really not. So, so this man in my life at the time, I thought he was so cool because he didn't drink, but he smoked a lot of pot. So that was good because yeah. I like pot because that was my drug of choice. And so, so one thing led to another, one led to another. I'm like, this guy's like not cool he's not straight with me something was going on um so i had called so that at the time this is when they first introduced um employee uh the eap employee assistance program mm-hmm. so i call and i'm like what i'm like i don't even know how to deal with this guy i'm trying to like not be going out with him and he's hanging around and like i don't know something's not right so they eap suggested i go to an outpatient so i went and the counselor there said, uh, we would like you, to, so we'd like you to come every night or three nights or whatever was the criteria. It might have been just three nights a week. And we would like you to abstain from any mind altering, anything for 30 days. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try it. And so they wanted him to as well. And so I kept going back and he never went back. Okay. So that's how, so that guy eventually didn't ever come back. And so 30 days led into nine months. I remember after nine months, um, they, they, I, I was a um, chemically dependent. This is how I would introduce myself. My name's Janine and I'm chemically dependent because I was so confused about why was I there? What did I really have a problem? Like I could relate to a lot and yet I felt like I was a very functionable human being and I didn't understand. That makes so much sense to me. I'm you know, I'm AJ and I'm chemically dependent. That makes sense to me. I'm sure said, it made sense to them. Well, they laughed because they yeah. they were like, Okay, whatever. As long as I, so but as I would not as long as you were honest, you were admitting it. Well you needed it took help. a very long time. Yeah. yeah, so that that was unusual because usually people come in and say right away, I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I, could, I hated it. And I hated saying it because I didn't know what it was. I thought alcoholic, right. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And so I went to that first meeting when we met and I hated saying I'm aging alcoholic because I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Then I heard disease. I heard allergy. I read the book that you gave me, Doctor's Opinion, and then it started to make sense. And I still, though, I I don't, eh, I don't like the word. We've, I've talked about it before on this podcast. I'm respectful. I mean, Bill and Bob are fucking heroes yeah. to me. Yeah. 
they, they got that thing yeah. written, you know, but, um, you know, yeah, you're talking about chemically yeah. dependent. I got off that, but so I get it. Yeah, And I, I know what you're saying. I heard recovering from a seemingly hopeless state of mind. Hopeless. And I had to really check in. Like, I was like, what the? How hopeless were you? Like, what was your, were you ever, ever have suicidal thoughts? Uh, I don't know that they were, um, valid. I don't know how to answer that because I think that everybody does. I think this is my opinion only, you know, mine were like, oh, you'll all be better off without me. Sure. Oh, what would they do without me? The grandiose ego, blah, 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 blah. And guess what? <laughs> they, you know, I took off. They all survived. They were, <laughs> they were all still going. That's what they would do without you. They did it. They lived. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Uh, okay. No, that's it. So, so they were like, okay, welcome, Janine, and you and your chemical dependency. Me and my chemical dependency. And, you know, they they wanted me to go to outside groups yeah. besides that outpatient. You know, it was a real reality slap to say, wow, because nobody, like in my circles, we this was a thing to do. This was not that we had problems. It was because it was a societal acceptance thing just like the times have changed now i'm just gonna say this about that marijuana is legal there's the cbd oil going around that is non-mind altering uh you know these are things these baffle me mm. so i'm just as baffled at that as i was about recovery early on like this. Are, are you baffled about um so i know a little bit about the cbd oil <clears throat> I suffer from chronic pain and I've been to groups and stuff like that. So I've, I've looked into it. So there is CBD oil that has the THC and there is CB, uh, it's, I think it's a psychedelic. I think it's labeled as THC and they do have CBD oils with zero count THC. So if, if you were, you know, somebody was in recovery and they didn't want anything mind altering, they can use CBD oil and I've heard people get relief from it. I have heard this as without, well. Without the THC. I don't know. It just, it, it reminds me of decaf coffee. Like, how do they do it? There has to be a chemical process. There is. And There's so, a, yeah. And so. They're very skilled, you know, engine yeah. scientists. And so in the end is, well. Yeah, you got to trust it. You got to trust when it says zero percent. Right. Well, so I have other issues outside of recovery with that, with chemical processes, which is cancer related issues so that's a whole nother topic which is a whole nother something um i want to hear about what you have to say what do you, I'm, I'm a little confused no so you have problems with what i feel like so i am a breast cancer survivor yeah and i am uh 15 years mm -hmm. cancer free wonderful it is wonderful and so, and I'm also of age where, you know, things are changing for me, the body, what, you know, physically, um, mentally at times too. I, you know, I, I may, used to make jokes about being in early dementia. I used to do that in Florida and they didn't laugh because I guess it's a true, it's a fact thing that happens. So I'm like, okay. So, so yeah so like i got issues what the hell so anyway so all these years i'm working on staying away from chemically 
related and chemically separated things, which would be caffeinated coffee versus decaf coffee. I see what you're saying. THC oil, CBD oh, oil you, without you, CBD. Because, so if there's a chemical process related in there, is that safe for me? I see what you're Because you've researched this as a result of your disease? Well, as a result I of have your learned. Cancer. Yeah, I mean, you've, I you've learned. You've been interested this, and you learned about it? I learned that cancer sucks. <laughs> and just like addiction sucks and that there is a way out and some people might be able to save themselves some people might not you know why did my oldest sister die of it my brother and the next sister don't have it and then I have it what like that doesn't it's weird how that is and so how can I stay healthy and not keep putting in my system it's almost the same as recovery almost Keeping things out of my system to keep me healthy so I can have another day? Mm. What can I do to have one more day? You know, at the time when I was diagnosed, my son was six. He was a baby. I was in the middle of a divorce, and I said to him, my ex, his father, I'm sorry, but I can't work on the divorce right now. Um, I have to work on my cancer and then it you know it sucked it was a really you know that was one part of my recovery that was really sucky i didn't have to drink Mm. knocking on wood i didn't have to use you know i sought the medical treatment that i needed and um and i survived and you know i kind of at the time i was hoping that it would kind of maybe make the bring the marriage back it's like, damn, this, you know, maybe it could, and it just it didn't, it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be. It, yeah. Yeah. And um, so that was how made, that went. Yeah. Well, that's great news. <laughs> so, you know, as I mean, far as the, as far as like society and all these things that are changed now, where back, back then early recovery, they, you know, it was against the law to smoke and take THC into it. It's against the law to be doing these things. Yeah. We did them anyway. Yeah. They tolerated us. You know, yeah. thank God. I mean, I didn't go to jail over some of the stuff I did. I should have. You know, I my jail was in my own mind. I had my own... I just was locked up and doing things that, you know, so my morals and values were gone. I had them instilled. They were there. They just were missing. Kind of like that dementia thing. Oh, forgot about it for a little while. Oopsie. But, so that brings us back. So we're, yeah. you're there. You're in. You're in. You got the dependency going on with your um, recovery counselors, and so yeah. you're getting treated. So you you get out of the IOP, intensive outpatient. Uh, I guess called? I don't. They didn't yeah. call it that. Oh, you get a, an outpatient. Well, God, you know, if they called it that, I didn't know it. Then an IOP is an intensive outpatient program. That that's yeah. where you go like daily. Yeah. And then there's an outpatient program. I believe now. I'm not a counselor, but yeah. I believe just an outpatient program is like you go three, one day a week, two days yeah. a week, three days a week, like up here at the recovery center. 
Yeah. So I, you know what? So these are all the things I'm out of touch with this, with what they call it and what it is and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it was outpatient. That's all it was. Outpatient. So. Okay. Um, so when you were there in recovery in Miami, you didn't stay in the bed and sleep overnight. You no, stayed in your own apartment. I stayed in my own. No. Okay. Went to work every day. No. Was that your only yeah. stint? Yeah. Yeah, so I tell know, me what happened. So then tell me. Let's do oh, it. Let's I, I don't know. It's just it was great because I remember. So Florida's great. I don't care. Florida was great. I could ride. I, I remember riding my bike to meetings. Ride back. Ride back. Ride. I used to ride my bike. It was fit. I was healthy. I was clear minded. I was like I felt like I had the world by the balls. Honestly, it really was just. It was so awesome to be like what it was like. I remember saying. I had no idea that there was another way of life. No idea. I had no idea. How would we? I don't know. I guess. Was, I don't know. We didn't have a blueprint yet. I don't know. I don't know. And things were different then. The hallucinogenics were, it was almost like secret, like a secret did you Society. dabble? Did you dabble in like LSD or any mushrooms or any? Um, no, I didn't. No, like I think probably the worst. We took some little blotter acid here and there. Yeah. Okay. So you you, you dabbled. Know. Oh, is that what? The- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you- what I mean? I'm like so naive. Yeah. I mean, we did. Um, there was one amyl nitrate. Do you remember that? You mm-hmm. would sniff it. Oh, you. Yeah. You're too young. Oh. Amyl nitrate was a a, a vapor, yeah. and you would sniff it, and that stuff was intense. It gave yeah. you like a three second, like whoo. Yeah. Um, there was um, angel dust. Oh, I heard a lot about that. I hear a lot about yeah. that from Boston commitments. People who yeah. come in from Boston. That's, I didn't see it. I didn't. I don't know. Formaldehyde about. is what that is. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I hear these couple crap. awesome speakers that yeah. come in and do commitments from downtown towns just, around town, and yeah. they, it's a big story. But but your yeah, thing was so, the booze and the so, weed, right? Yeah, I mean, I could say Even that you experimented. Um, I experimented because I thought I was missing something. Like oh, let's, and then I was afraid of it. I didn't like it. Were you the type of girl? I didn't even girl, like it. Were you the type of girl who I hear sometimes people are like oh, I'll put anything in my body, make me feel different? Were you that type of girl or no? yeah? Mm, no. no, I was more like okay, Friday party, Saturday party. I see. Got to get you know weekend. okay weekend. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, sure. I don't. Yeah, I mean, didn't matter. I Ooh. can tell you, I probably smoke pot every day. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember that I smoked pot to go to work, but I might have. What did you miss? What did you crave? Did you crave um, marijuana, the marijuana? The marijuana. The marijuana. You sound like my grandmother. Um, did you, did you crave, crave the weed when you, when you stopped? What did you crave I, more, the weed or the alcohol? Neither. I don't, I don't feel like I craved anything. Wow. I feel like I craved... Attention. And I, yeah, it was more. Um, so the craving stopped for you yeah, immediately. I don't. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I. That's that's very interesting. I haven't heard that. I don't feel like I craved anything. No, because the re- there, there was, you know, keep your candy bars and, you know, if you. I Did you know. eat a lot of sugar when you. Oh, yeah, I still do. Yeah. Terrible amounts. Terrible, which is And this so- is for somebody who may be listening who's new and just recovering. We can talk about this. I when I 
first got soba for like two months. You know, I watch what I eat. I'm not a big sweet person. I'd rather like bread and butter or spaghetti and meatballs or something. <laughs> yeah. I- but 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 that that August, um, July and August, like July 14th, I put down the booze, but... I didn't even know it, but we spent some time in New Hampshire, and my kids were young, and we always had ice cream. I ate so much ice cream. I put on 20 pounds. Yeah. Not from just ice cream, but exactly. a lot of it had to do with it. Yeah. But they say that, so for anybody yeah. who's new and listening, it's, if you don't know this, the, the booze has sugars in it. And so when we stop drinking booze, our yeah. body craves the sugar. Yeah. And so it's okay. That's why some you'll see some old timers, they'll have some candy and- yeah, coffee, re- they say, you know. Coffee with sugar. Yeah. In the rehabs, there's a lot of candy. You know. Donuts. Yeah. So it's okay. It's like, Cookies. Yeah. But it's yeah. moderation. You know, you're, you're putting uh-huh. something down. Now, don't start abusing the donuts. But <laughs> right. you are going to crave sugar, so have some. Right. So so you weren't craving booze. You, were, you, you I, weren't I, craving. You didn't have the crave. I really don't recall that. This is a really long time ago. 1985. 85, we're at. Just out of rehab. Dang, AJ, that hurts. So. Let's go chronologically. So then you moved to Texas. Yeah, that was 1990. Yes. You had a good. Spiritual awakening. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel, I really feel like I had a spiritual awakening earlier and didn't know it. But I got wicked more in touch with it in Texas. Yeah. And then I got, went back to Florida to be by the beach. And then you went back to Florida three years later, I yeah? I went back to Florida to be by the beach. So now we're late 80s. Nope. Now we're mid 90s. Oh, okay. So right? You- so 80s, 85 is my sobriety date. 90 was Texas. So 93, I was back in Florida. So by 1995. You're doing so well. Yeah. That's 10 years on, right? And three of those years with God. I mean, I, ha- I me and God were like this. In Texas. We were like this. Wow. We're still like this. Yeah. Only God's busy. See, so God, God was with me those three years. So you thought you were missing God. He was with me because I needed him. So now God has decided or my higher power or whatever you want to call it, my spiritual basis foundation, I am able to let God come and visit and help you. I'm willing to do that today. Back then I wasn't willing because I was so insecure and I was so vulnerable and I needed answers. You know, I think I was more into that than what am I craving? What am I looking, you know, what I I didn't want at that point, I didn't want to fog my mind anymore. So because that's what I knew about alcohol and drugs, why I was using it. What did it do to me? Remember, I said that it isn't about what I did, where, when, what time, what happened to me when I did it. Yeah. So I was able to take it and and now, you know, I've had family members say, you just, you've just um, um, traded off one addiction to another. So because I, you know, I, I remember, so I would eat, substitute, whatever. And then there was the man thing. Oh, I need a man in my life. Oh, you know, I don't need anything to cloud 
my judgment anymore and my morals and values. I don't need that anymore. I like to have, I want it, but you know, is it a want or a need? What's my motive? Mm -hmm. That's my message. That's, that was the whole reason is in my message is the motive. Um, so, so I just remember, I don't know why something about fettuccine Alfredo. I think I was on a fettuccine Alfredo kick and I found such comfort in that. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, and it was harmless, although it was fattening, like you were saying, the ice cream. So, you know, it wasn't altering my mind or, you know, my emotion. Um, and so I, t- I took pride in coddling where I was in recovery, what was going on in my life, what, you know, I was away from my family miles and miles and miles away. So I didn't have any distractions. And where I was, um, we had outdoor meetings, we had beach meetings, outdoor meetings, we had a dance every Saturday night outside. And um, dang, yeah, I guess I never got over the man kick because I remember going one night dressed, I was in red. I had this great dress that had fringed bottom. Oh, it was awesome. And, um, And at the time I had really really big breasts my real breasts were giant they were good Woo. and so I go because I've been scouting this guy at the meetings right so I'm 10 years in recovery still looking still and so I go to the dance I'm like I'm gonna get this guy boy I used to think I could remember his name but anyway um whatever his name was he had long hair he was just so cute and so I go traipsing in there like a slut that I am. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just want to see if you're awake. You're awake? Okay. With, so, he rides in on his motorcycle with a girl on the back. Oh. I was busted, devastated. And so I'm like, damn, what am I going to do now? So, you know, it's just God keeping me in check. You know, you think you're all that. And look. Listen, so, you know, I can say, oh, he wasn't worthy of me either, blah, 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 whatever. And I look across the way, and that's where I saw my soon-to-be future husband across the way, who I knew from hometown Massachusetts. And so he and I had a few dances and this and that, and, um, and eventually we got married. And then eventually we had a child. What? Yeah. Corporal. Yeah. Corporal. What year, did, what year was David born? Corporal, 1998. What you, Corporal David, 98. Okay. 1998. And how yeah. was, um, you were sober and your husband was sober at that time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I believe that he was. Okay. I believe that he really made an effort. He did move away from meetings soon, probably about the time that David was born. Okay, that might yeah. happen. So, uh, so we bought a house. We had a beautiful home. We moved up a little further, central Florida, ish, but still by the water. Um, and we had a beautiful home. And, um, you know, I was still going to meetings. That kid, my son, came to meetings with me when he was in the womb. He, I just took him because that's what I needed for myself. Yeah. And so my focus never varied from that. I always went to meetings, always, 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 no matter what. And this is a great example. That's a great example for anybody new who's listening. Yeah. Is, and 
we talked about it earlier there with with my wife it's recovery has to come first yeah yeah because if recovery doesn't come first you're not going to have that little kid to take 20 meetings right right yeah so so recovery has to come first and you'll learn you know you get us if you're new you get a sponsor because things come up yeah baseball games i had it you know i was early in recovery and a baseball game would come up or yeah. school play and it was the night of my men's group and i'd call gary and i'd be like you know what do you think he's like these things happen once brother go yeah. you gotta go to that play we'll be thinking right. of you. you'll be all right yeah 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 checking so, in check check in check yeah check in. in and then you got you got to check in with somebody checking in who you can trust Somebody who has, we talk about sponsorship a lot here. Somebody who you look at them and you say, wow, I want to be like that. I want like their smile, they're smiling right now. I want that. So you, you, were, taking, you were taking David to meetings. I, I used to see you. I saw him. I feel him. bad because you say we talk about sponsorship and that's one thing I haven't even touched on, that part of recovery. And uh, I, I'm going to just say this about that. Yeah, let's hear it. I recall... Uh, a girl, you know, I used to go to a lot of women's groups. And um, so there's this one girl, she comes in, right? So she's uh, she's like uh, really big and loud and raw. Uh, she just was in your face. And I'm like, that's the girl I want for my sponsor. So I go up to her and I'm like, will you be my sponsor? And she's like, no. I said, but I need somebody. I need someone to like, just like hit me, get me in place. She goes, your bat's big enough and you're, you're doing it all by yourself, girlfriend. <gasps> so I was like, what the heck? I never had that experience ever again after that. I never had that. It was the first time. And I, and I really was taken aback by it. And she really made a good point that, you know, I was beaten. I didn't need someone to beat me up because I was beating myself up all by myself. And, um, you weren't the right fit for her is what Apparently, she was saying. I guess. Yeah, like I guess. You, don't need, you need somebody more gentle. I don't know. I don't know because I really thought that I needed her because she was had the biggest bat. We think we need a lot of things. Right? Yeah, I had to stop stop that thinking. Anyway, so. You're going to meetings with him. Your, your husband is, eh, I don't know. You're starting to question him at this point? Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I'm getting that feeling from you. I I don't know. I mean to say, yeah. So we had, so my son was about two and we had a beautiful home and we were, it was a Thanksgiving day. We had gone out to serve some of the homeless. So one of our groups, um, you know, when I created this whole thing, like we're doing this, this is what we're doing for Thanksgiving because, you know, I don't wait till Thanksgiving to give thanks. I have to be grateful, thankful every single day. So it was fine to take a day that I was available, not working, but we could be a little lax. And we went out to serve the homeless. And it was one of our groups that we had. Everybody brought food. And anyway, so we went and did that. And we're coming home. And um, and I'm driving. I'm like, and I just, I'm like, I love it here. I love my new house. I love it here. And my ex, uh, he burst into tears. And he's like, I'm so, I'm like, I was so shocked. One more difficult part. So I didn't even know how to take that. Wait, what did he say? He said, I'm miserable. I can't stand it here. I hate it here. I want to go back to Boston because what the heck? 
and I was just floored because I everything I had the baby I had the house I had everything was working out his job he he was with the job that he had been with the longest in his whole life eight years so that was shocking wow yeah so he came well he came back first and then um, and the lady that I sponsored that I had at that time, she's like, you know, you don't have to sell the house. You don't have to show the house. Like, he doesn't have to know whether you show it or not. Like she was saying, I didn't have to go. I could stay. And I'm like, and I just couldn't picture a two-year-old without family, without, fo- I just, I, that foundation, again, structuring the morals and values and this and that so yeah so we got an offer on the house that was like double what we were asking and so i said you know so you you're always looking for let me say this about me i'm looking for signs i'm always looking for messages i'm always looking for somebody help me get through thinking this through because i know my thinking is twisted so double the offer was like okay here you go Uh, so I, you know, I didn't want to leave and I didn't want to not support him. So I left, I sold the house, packed it up. We all drove home. Well, anyway, we all, we ended up back in Boston. And then after, uh, we, we, my sister let us stay at her place for a while. While you found a house. While we were looking and then. And then he took a job that was 80 miles one way. And I was like, what the heck? So we were way up in New Hampshire, way up. And I said, God, I need to be at the very top. of the, I need to be as close to God as I possibly can. Because at that time, I, I will never forget. I wanted, I was felt like I wanted to hurt somebody. Not me and not my kid. <laughs> I really was very angry and very sad and very alone with a newborn kid. Um, I mean, two-year-old to me is the baby. So 80 miles one way, 160 miles a day. So that's, you know, four hours of his day. So I'm like, okay, so I know the signs now. I know the isolating and this, you know, and um, and keeping program-related to keep talking to him programly and then, so now I'm going into Al-Anon trying to stay sane and and um, do what I needed to do for myself and my son and and um, and still stay sober. It mm. was such a weird thing to incorporate all these things. And I mean, I had sobriety under my belt and it was still Listen, this is how far away I am from a drink. Yeah. I'm I'm lengths away. Yeah. That's it. I don't care. Doesn't matter. That was that really was a rough time. Yeah. And um luckily I didn't have to resort to that. I didn't have to make a wrong decision and take something to alleviate cuz it was painful. It was scary. All those emotions mm. that make me want to change wh- the way I think and the way I do things. Yeah. So your husband was scared the same way you said he was in pain, but so did he have to? Did he have to take? I I to don't know what he ever did. I don't know what he ever did. I had brought had suggested that he go to psychiatrists, whatever, 
get help. If you're not going to go to meetings, you need to get help something. And, and he refused. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfectly fine. And he completely, I, you know, I do remember asking him if, you know, I'm not sure if I said, did you drink or do you want to drink or something? I mean, it was obvious. This is what an alcoholic does. They drink. This is what a drug addict does. They take drugs. So I presumed he was being honest with me. I never even thought about it. Honestly, I just presumed he wouldn't. So how long did this go on? So this went on. So uh, 2001. Now we're at 2001. So um, a couple of years. Wow. So I found a place. I, I took the the profit of the home and I bought a place and we, we were in New Hampshire at this time. Yep. And so, um, and so he progressed into the anger and the, and the, um, imaginary. Yeah. Like this imaginary thing. Like, so his idea was he wanted to get as far away from society as he could. He wanted to stay up in the mountains where there was no one. And I'm like, I can't, I can't with this, with the two year old is 25 miles to Walmart to get diapers. No. And him not being there. I mean, he was, he was gone all day. He was gone all day. He was gone. Like it was sick. It was like, to me, that was like sick. That was a sickness. Yes. And, and so I didn't want to fall prey to that. So I went to this idea and I said, let me just get this condo. And then as my child got into school years, I could get a job and I could manage. And so that was the, so, so in recovery, when the fog does clear, in God allows me these, um, concessions or these, uh, their blessings is what they are okay so you know so he gave me my son he gave me the job he gave me the car he gave me the ability to live and to now become a productive member of society I mean and that that was early on you know at a, at, at this time that we're talking about is when the reality really struck like I have been given all of this I can't give I can't lose it so it wasn't about the drink or drug it was about it was about um my giving back to God and saying I'm I'm going to do this because I feel like in my higher power I I don't want to scare anybody away saying God but to me it's God and and so my God had given me the ability um so I'm God's child at this point, which has really been all the whole time, uh, although uh, this is this is my thinking. And I just I remember this clearly, clearly, you know, those early days, they're not clear because my brain was clear. Now my brain is clear and now I have to be responsible. Responsibility. And I always had to be that. I just wasn't. Yeah, we're I was just, we, it was just like a fool, what I was. We were foolish, immature. Right. So um, 
besides that, being an example to this child. I love it. And showing the child that it can be done. And and of course, you know, having had my parents who were not, they they never showed signs of issues. I, there was dysfunction. There, oh, there was a lot of things that went on. Yet, I still was taught to be respectful, the morals and values of life. Yeah, and, and you were provided a safe place to grow as a child. Yeah. And you wanted that for your kid? Yes. Right? So, exactly. And, and I know that the real husband wanted that as well. What happened and to the real husband? The real husband lost the vision because I, this is my opinion only where the mental obsession for the drink or the drug takes over. So in my opinion, this was a dry drunk that I'm living with now where he wasn't medicating. This is my opinion. I don't have any facts to base this on. It's what I wanted to believe. Yep. He was functioning without the drink, without the drug, without that. And and he couldn't get past this. There's a one fine line when you, with your spirituality and your foundation, you get past that and you're able to function with some sense of um, sensibility, logic. But the dry drunk, you're stuck. And you're just stuck. And your logic is flawed. So they've started to become... Um, insinuations and, and different things of him. He didn't want any of us to exist. So never mind about suicide, that he wanted to kill himself. He wanted to kill us. And so and so, I felt very, very afraid. And wow. so I went to, you know, these are things that we're not proud of and we don't share them out and we don't, you know, you have a sponsor and you go to your sponsor Guess what? I didn't have to go to my sponsor. I went to the police because I knew because my foundation was strong enough. My sensibility was clear. I felt threatened. I needed to be with me and my child needed to be safe. And so they denied me a um, restraining order. And she said, he just needs help. He's I couldn't even believe what this woman was saying. I said, you did not see the look in his eyes. You were not there. So, you know, for someone who does that job every day, this and that, maybe she was right, whatever. So, and then this, now we're into the time now where I got the diagnosis of breast cancer. And You're um, still married? No. Oh, was I? Yeah, at this point. Yes, I'm no, so I'm sorry. sorry. Yes. Not now, but then when you, yes, 15 I was, years ago. I yeah. was because I had to, yeah, I had to put, they, oh, that's right. Because you yes. were, you were saying you were hoping that this would save the marriage. Yeah. So okay. So you get diagnosed. He is. Are you in New Hampshire still? We're in New Hampshire in yeah. this condo, townhome yeah. type thing. And so I said, I said, you need to take care of this kid. You need to get him to school. You need to pick him up and do everything that I do for this kid and keep him on his schedule. And it wasn't that I I wasn't hiding it from him. He was six. How does you know, mommy's sick. Yeah. You know, we did. They have all these books and all this stuff out there about cancer. Draw this, draw that, blah, blah, blah. You know what? It was about keeping the kid on schedule and letting him understand there were concerns and not to let him be afraid. 
because we were going to get through it. Yeah. And um, that was, of course, my hope. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so he made some major decisions. So he did that, the, his dad. His dad took care of him, and then I had my sisters, my mother, to help take care of me, help me get through that surgery. And in a month, I was back to work in a month, which was, like, incredible. Well, it was really weird because, so I'll just tell you this about that. So both, so I did a double mastectomy, and uh, so I had both breasts removed, and they were five pounds each breast. So, so I mentioned that earlier before about, yeah, so that, listen. I had what it takes. It's all gone now, baby. Trying to picture that five-pound largemouth <laughs> bass is pretty big. Billy Bass. Whoa. Yeah. So you had two large <laughs> five hundred. Five-pound bags of sugar. Woo. Yep. So. But his, back to work in a month, crazy. And his huh? what happened was I had to because of my foundation. In my sobriety in AA, I found a support group, of cancer recovery. Oh, so so these are the things. So I love that. And this is what's important is because things are going to happen, and guess what? There is a solution. You know, there is. Um, it it may not be the end result. You know, people. There's this whole big thing about well, I'm recovered. Well. You know, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has something to say. You know, the, so so we were talking about everything in moderation, and these are the things that I taught my son. So I'm at a point now, he's six, and he needs to know what this all means and what the meetings are about and what surgery is about and what and what moderation is. and what. And so because I could never say to my son, well, you can never drink alcohol. And you can never do drugs. I could say to him, it's really not a good idea if you overindulge. Um, and so now we were on a quest. Now um, I get go back to work. I'm trying to work with like gravity all of a sudden was like totally different. Yeah, different. your body, geez. My body was oh, crazy. Oh, that's going to be a wild sensation. It was. I didn't even think about that. It was very wild. Because your, your, your posture totally changed overnight. Exactly. Yep. Right? Yep. Hmm. Yep. I'll never and forget. Have you had, did you have back issues? Before? How did that affect your spine? Um, well, I was in the process with... Um, you know that my joke is that this is the the um, this is the breast reduction that I always wanted in a sad, sick way. Yeah, you make. I mean, you because make the best, that. You make joke yeah, that's because what you do. that ten pounds was it. It was a lot. Yeah. So, um. So yeah, I had I had some amazing weird like, stuff. physiological change yeah. overnight. You yeah, that's crazy. So you're working, you're working with that. That structures your husband staying kind of on point. Yeah, I want to uh, hear how this. Yeah. So I don't know. I couldn't focus on him anymore. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I had to stay focused on me. Mm-hmm. I felt very selfish at the time. Mm-hmm. I felt very. Um, was he consistently threatening after that one point or was that a one time thing? Um, He. I would, I don't know how to answer that. I guess it was a one-time thing because it was the one time to my face. Mm. Yeah. Um, he eventually moved out. Okay. Moved out. He moved out. It was sad. 
I felt so bad for my son. Yeah. It was really a sad. I mean, I didn't want that to happen, and I just couldn't. Um, we we tried everything, every counseling, everything, the, everything we tried, except for he never went back to a meeting. Wow! And that was key. That says a lot to me. It said a lot because it says a lot to me. I felt like that was a cornerstone, you know, when he said, you know, take that AA and shove it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and that's not what it was for me. So we, at that point, that's where I knew he was astray. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just could validate. It doesn't mean that he drank. It just means he had no room for AA anymore. And we agreed when we got married, if either one of us felt that, then it was over. Oh, really? You made yeah. that? A, no way. Yeah. And I think he forgot that we said that. Yeah. Um, what I heard was that when you have a child, you regress to the age, whatever age is your child. So if it's nine, you know, whatever, even in the womb, nine months old, one year old, in my mind, I went back to when I was one. And then David, my son turned two, I was two. And my son turned three, you know, because we did a lot of sessions, a lot of therapies. Um, he, he, my ex refused medication. Uh, he told me that the, who, I, I don't even know, the psychologist prescribes. No, the psychiatrist. Psychiatrist would see, I don't, that's how naive no, I am. No, it's, if I it need can be it, confusing. If I need it, is I. Is he, was he diagnosed with a mental illness? He told me no. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's and I had thing. to believe yeah, him. Yeah, he doesn't have to, yeah. I wanted to believe him. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me join that session. Said the doctor said no. Oh, yeah. I asked that mental illness question because um, I enjoy talking about it. I have, I have history of it. It's in my family. It's part of my story. I know some little, a li- little bit about it. Yeah. And it is nothing to be ashamed of. If anything, it is so helpful if you can speak to somebody who you trust. I mean, it's a, you know, it's an illness, so it's a doctor thing. But um, <clears throat> these fellowships, like I belong to this fellowship. I have a men's group on Thursday night. I have, I I'm kind of doing different religious. Uh, exploration I have a men's group I go over here to the church Saturday morning we talk about mental illness weekly and guess what most of us contribute to that conversation because it touches every family in these groups I'm in and we're all telling the truth in these meetings yeah so that's why I asked that Um, yeah so you know um but you don't know. It's not our business. It's a HIPAA thing. He didn't have to tell you. Well, this is, the, yeah, he wouldn't even know that. It, so this was a pride thing. So I'm glad you said that about being shame, shame, feeling shame, shameful. Um, these are all things, being in recovery, learning a new way of life, um, you know, the dysfunction of your family, what is happening behind closed doors. These are things that have for years and years been people's uh, idea of, I'm ashamed of that and I won't talk about it. And so 
what I can tell you is that what I told my son going to get help is nothing to be ashamed of. It actually empowers you to be knowing you're taking care of yourself. There you go. And so, um, so we we did a lot of family therapy. We did a lot of couple that therapy. Sounds like it. Yeah, you ex- you you were you were exhausted. I wanted you- to save that marriage. Yes. I and I wasn't God. People kept saying you're not God, and I'd be like, "Don't say it." I'm gonna fix this, and I knew I couldn't. I was determined that I was. <laughs> you know what? I didn't want was a broken marriage. I didn't want that. Ever. That's understandable. Which, by the way, why I got married so late in life, I felt like that God was saving me for this special relationship that was going to work. I honestly really believed that, that I, I got married late. I had my son late. You know, I didn't even, I was so selfish. I didn't even want children and so when God blessed me with that child to turn my head right around and said, this is not all about you. You are my worker bee and you have a purpose to do something for me, whatever that is. And bringing my son into the world was one of them. So, you know, I, now I'm the single mom doing all, doing everything now. And he's gone. No, Does he contact you? Well, he was, he was in the next town. And so he was, you know, everybody wanted to see me as an unfit mother. What do you mean by that? Because an unfit mother is someone who doesn't take care of their kid. Why did people want to see you like that? Um, because a lot of people don't understand recovery. And they didn't understand that these are things that I needed to do for myself. That, you know, in where he, because he was bad mouthing. Um, because he um, would say things like, oh, this, that's all she can do is go to her meetings. Wow. How dare she do that and take him with her? Wow. And, um, you know, of course, I had a vast, I mean, there, but, there so are meetings, people- there are meetings that have children and babysitters because we, that was something we used to do. We used to, we used to like, I was a babysitter in a meeting. Even though I needed a meeting, I made sure I went on Tuesday to babysit, and then I went on Thursday for myself. Awesome. So. Why do, why do you think people thought you were unfit when you were taking your son to a meeting to make yourself, I to help know. yourself be healthy? I don't know, because that was the part of where whatever anybody thinks of me is none of my business. Right. But, so, you, but you, yes, okay, so I know what you're saying. it was, it, no matter what I did. Yeah, you had crazy thoughts. No you were matter thinking, what I did, it was it was like, enough. oh, am I doing the right thing? Because you. somebody's watching me. Yeah, yeah, I And who was watching me but his father. Right. And God. Yeah. And that was, and that, I found myself becoming to where I want to be more God-like. As far as being unfit it was always a challenge you know if I had to work at night I had to get a babysitter and so I was an unfit mother because the person I chose to mind my kid okay yeah it's tough it was just a way it was just another way of 
That's a lot of pressure. It drove homicide. Honestly, he was trying to kill me. Is what he was trying to do. Mm. Personally, I mean, I say that's, and I know that sounds huge, and that sounds really severe. And it, and it almost did. I could say, you know, I'm that vulnerable, and I'm still a human being, and I still have feelings. You know, when you're in recovery, in my opinion is, you don't lose those feelings, and you don't. And you don't mask them and you, you can't hide from them. You can't and you cannot ignore them. You have to be Feel there and be them. present. Yeah. Yeah. And man, that was a really sucky time. It's tough. That sucked. You learn so, how to do it though. Well, I also learned that there are those two who have went before me and survived. That's right. And so that's another motto for me when I meet someone early in recovery. Um the other week, there was the woman who said, I just hired my niece to come and mind my kids for the summer so I could work on me. I went up to her after the meeting. I was crying. I was elated for her. Right. And I encouraged her because that's what I had to do. Yeah. I had to do that to stay sober, get that kid grounded. And you know, I listened to her a little bit and she talked about that the child, the niece who she hired is in a broken home and things are not going well for her and they're going to be there for each other. I Like to me like that was so, it just was like, she didn't know how much she's going to help that girl. And I said, don't you ever feel selfish. Do not feel selfish that you have to be putting all yourself on the line go take care of yourself you did the right thing i just i was so so excited for her yeah oh i was so excited for her because those are the things that i had to do to stay well yeah and i was not ashamed of that decision and i was proving them wrong i am a fit mother yeah and um and, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, these sponsors and these close friends, they do know and they do support you. Yeah. And I wasn't afraid to tell them or ask them or have them help me. Um, yeah. yeah. You have people around you who think like you like-minded people who get you through these things. Yeah. You talked about... Um, like you mentioned somebody earlier who was in a recovery. Oh, you were in the cancer survivor recovery. Oh yeah. Fellowship. Yeah. You know, things like that. Yeah. I, I suggest yeah. people who lose loved ones, you yeah, know, go a to friend the loses, loses a wife. Yeah. You gotta go to be around yeah. men who have lost their wives. Cause I don't know what you're going through. Exactly. Billy yes. don't know. You know, Danny doesn't know you. We don't know. We love you. You're our buddy, but you got to get around people who are like you. You know, right, and that's 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 what we get right. here to get going, through that. Right, going you, through what you're going through. Do, we're gonna we're we're, we're close. I want to I want to talk though. Quick, you you said um, shit. I lost what I was gonna say. Hold on. Oh, I had something I wanted to ask you. Oh, you were saying um people perceived you as being unfit because you were going to recovery. Do you think that's similar today or do you think that the stigma has changed today? Do you know what I'm trying to ask you? I do. Um, 
I don't care anymore. Like, I really don't care because I really know who I am today. I really. I love that, but I'm saying for a young woman who has a young child in recovery today, would you agree that society looks at her differently than society looked at you 20 years ago? Has it changed or has it not changed yet? Or am I just, is it? As far as young mothers with children is there is a way out. So it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed for anybody that it's in the steps. And in order to get the steps, you got to show up and you got to do the work and that and, and every fellowship has steps, so I don't care. Pick one. It doesn't matter to me. Just pick one. Get around people. When you're lost, you're alone, and you're scared, and your and your ego is so big that you think you're better than you can you can fight it. Go try it. It's not going to hurt you. It's only going to help you. Agreed. The things that hurt are the things that are altering what the reality is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so, and these are the things. So, so these are the things that I taught my son. Um, and that, and so, I raised him. Uh, I was a fit mom. You know, any mom that's working on anything to better what they have is a fit mom. I don't, you know, recovery or not, you know, any mom that, you know, they, listen, d- that doesn't mean you don't take breaks and you don't, you know, you, you got to do stuff to keep healthy. You have to rest, you have to eat and you have to have some sort of support system, something support system, something. You can't be alone. You know, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean somebody who's not doing well. If if right. you know what I mean, like some people. So it this is what I learned is that a lot of times I would surround myself with people that were beneath me. You know, they were doing bad. They were not doing well, so that I would look superior. Yeah, no more. It's not that way. You know, I don't ha- I don't need that anymore. I you know, now I'm seeking out people at my level, people that are above me that are close to God that, you know, this that that want the same things I want. Um Yeah, you want to learn. You know, so uh yeah, so I raised my kid with yeah. this m- mentality of everything in moderation and not to be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. And so he's thriving. Yes. And um, his dad has declined. Okay. To end the end of the story is he's been homeless and he's DUI'd and he's so his mental illness has been diagnosed. You asked me that earlier on, and so what I tell my son now he's of age that he can understand this. Yeah. And that you know these are things you want to key in on, and don't be afraid to find out. If it's run mental illness in your father's side of the family, you know, you, I recall telling my son, you are a product of a mom and dad, alcoholic and drug addict. And 
you know, we've had our tussle about that. And now he's seen firsthand. So he knows where he comes from. He knows not to be afraid of this. Yeah. Um, I wish somebody had told me that, but they didn't know. It was it was such a secret to be like to help yourself. Yeah. It was a secret. It was like the people don't have these problems. Yeah, you'll be okay. Us people don't have those problems. Right. What do you mean? You know. Yeah. So it was like cover a sh- it up, brush yeah. it up, rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So yikes. Wow. So David's doing well. David He's is in the Marines. Yeah. He's I was going to meet him, but you had stuff come up. But I'll meet him. I, I met him once. You brought him to a meeting probably six years ago. Yeah, he remembers you. And now he's all grown up. Yeah. He's got he's a, a great corporal. mom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. he's got a strong mom who took him through some <laughs> tough times. I hope that whoever's listening yes. got something out of that, at least a parental portion. Yeah. Because it really could deter you from focus. Yeah. And I felt astray a few times and quickly read, quickly envelope with people, get back to meetings. So to stay on track, you know, the kids are important. It's more important if I'm healthy, this kid's, he's out of sight now. Yeah. He's giving me advice now. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. That's awesome. And you're doing, and in your program, what's your program looking like? I mean, I see you Sunday morning. Yeah, my program is, so I do not like New England because I don't like the winter. Yeah. And I hibernate in the winter. Mm. So I'll be right up front, tell you that much about that. Now come summer, now there's beach meetings that I go to. Oh, you could, that's right. You've invited me Sunday mornings? Uh, there's a, bre- there's a breakfast meeting in York. It's not on the beach, but the breakfast meeting... That's, That's the one. This so, is a historic meeting. The breakfast meeting is fantastic. What do you mean? Uh, what does that mean? Historic? Oh, because they used to have four of them. And it used to be at Yokins in Portsmouth, York Harbor Inn, King's Grant right here in Danvers. Yeah, I know that. And where was the fourth one? I forget. Okay. Um, So now there's only the one left, the York Harbor. And that's a Sunday morning? It's uh, last Sunday of the month, yeah. Oh, okay. And you're a regular there? And it is year round. Okay. And so, you know, it's just, it's an hour ride. Maybe, well, yeah, I guess it would be the same here. And so, yeah, so that's one that I do because I like to be outside. I like to be at the beach. Um, So that's one that I do. Yeah. Um, and so that's what happens is I end up, you don't see me because I'm yeah. off somewhere else. In the summer. Um, and so, and then there's Hampton Beach, 7.30 in the morning, and that's seven days a week. Oh. It's actually uh, North Beach, so don't confuse that with the main beach okay. where all the arcades are. No, oh, yeah, a yeah, little yeah. further up. Um, nice. Yeah, that's Good. an awesome one. There's Friday Night in Revere. That's... A yeah so so yeah you, hit them all, you so try to hit them i try to hit them all yeah. you know um prayer and meditation yeah and, well that's on a daily basis yeah you know i almost brought my book to show you how my book is falling off the binder uh, yeah and i was like and i almost i was gonna bring all these things you know and i'm like you know what i don't need i don't need that next time but yeah you know so um you know my recovery is daily and I only have today. You know, one time I said to this guy, 
oh, I didn't get my chip. I didn't go to the celebration meeting, blah, blah, blah. So he hands me a 24-hour chip. And you know what? That's all I need. Yeah. That's yeah. all I carry. You know, I can have years and years and years and Oh, and all this hoopla. And, you know, it is monumental. And it is something to be said for the person who has one hour who can't see to the second hour. It can be done. However, I, you know, just got to bring it right down. All I need is this minute, 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. If I get one day and do what I did today, I'd be grateful if I can, I'll be right in streamline for tomorrow. Nice. Nice, Janine. I well, love you. I love you, Janine. And God brought us together for a reason. No doubt. And we have these, these commonalities, these things that similar in our lives and it's cool it's a spiritual connection we had it from the start and yeah yeah so thanks for coming (laughs) thanks for having me i love you janine i love you more i'll see you tomorrow maybe i think so (laughs) all right we're done (laughs) bye people stay sober